He may have picked those songs out at random, but that one uh, sets up the sermon really well tonight. Where he leads, I'll follow. This passage in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22. And it says, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God, or we must enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. You know, there are few people probably that ever lived that knew the truth of that statement experientially any better than the Apostle Paul. If you go ahead and you look at that passage in Acts chapter 14 and verses 19 through 22, he had been stoned and left for dead in Lystra. His enemies had come out and they had, they had stoned him. They thought he was dead, dragged him out of the city. The disciples come out, he gets up and he goes to Derby, does some preaching and he comes back into Lystra. And chances are pretty good from the stoning that he took that he was still bruised as we've talked about many times. And can you imagine having the Apostle Paul standing there and a bunch of Christians black, blue, bruised, cut open by stones that had recently been tossed and hurled at him till they thought he was dead, having those open wounds perhaps, as he says, maybe even through swollen lips from the bruises. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Would that have an impact? That would have an impact on me, let me tell you what. As he said in 2 Corinthians 11, he had been in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, and in prison more frequently than any of his first century brethren. And matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23-29, he says not only those things, but he said he'd been in deaths often. What does it mean to be in deaths? It means to be in a situation that is life and death, where your, de where your life is definitely and for real at risk. He says, five times from the Jews I received the 39 lashes. They wouldn't administer 40, as I'm told, because they figured that, that could kill somebody, so they gave him 39 instead. Can you imagine? Be I can't imagine being scourged, let alone to the point of death, let alone five times. He said three times he was shipwrecked. Again, that doesn't count the big one in Acts 28 that we're all pretty familiar with. A night and a day he had been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of his own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. No matter where he had gone, whether it was his own countrymen, his own kinsmen, other people, co-workers, city, country, even in the church, he'd been in peril. He says he'd been in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things that came upon him daily, his deep concern for all the churches. So he goes on to say, who's weak and I'm not weak? Paul was beaten and battered from pillar to post. No matter where he turned. Troubles, trials, tribulations, distress, destruction. So he stands before his brethren and he says, as a man who knew, <laughs> we must enter the kingdom through many trials. It's no different today. It doesn't seem like, well, it's different in the sense that we're not under quite that we're not under the physical peril that he was, but 
it isn't different in that it seems no matter where you look today, there's trouble. You turn on the news, you turn on the TV, you go to work, you go to school, sometimes even go to church. And it seems like there's, there's peril and there's problems. But the Bible says that if we want to go to heaven, it's through those sorts of things we must go. And I want you to think about that. He said through those trials, we must enter the kingdom. Why? How does that work? Well, it works like this. It, exa it is exactly those sorts of problems which help empower and provide our entrance into the kingdom of God. Say, wait a minute. Going into the kingdom, we got to go. How does that work? Well, James talks about it in James 1, verses 2 and 3. He said, you need to rejoice when you encounter those problems. He goes on to tell you how they produce perseverance in those things that we need to get into heaven. Apostle Paul says we must go through them. Please open your Bibles tonight to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Because while Paul says, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must go through many trials, many hard times. Revelation, chapter 21, is something I want us to consider. And yes, I realize Paul did not write the Revelation. We've studied enough of that, so I understand that. But I want for you to consider a very insightful illustration that I got some years ago from Brother James Burton Kaufman that, in my mind, validates or helps to illustrate this concept that we can only get into heaven by going through many trials. It's not an easy path. We know what Jesus said about the way being difficult that was the narrow way. But again, I want to us to see it from Revelation 21 in this illustration that, or explanation that I got from Brother James Burton Kaufman's writings. Revelation 21, beginning at verse 1, John says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We know he saw this in this vision. We we're talking about Revelation adult class. We know it wasn't literal, but we know he saw this in this vision. And he says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now as we continue down through the entire or through the rest of that chapter, John continues and he begins to describe the city that he saw in detail. He talks about it coming down this new Jerusalem, but then he begins to to give us the specifics. He begins to unroll, unveil this picture, this poster before us of, of what that city looked like in his vision in verses 10 through 21. We see from that description in verse 17 
that it had walls of protection on all four sides. We see in verse 17 that those walls were 144 cubits high. Now again, we understand 144 multiples of 12. We realize from our Revelation study, 12 times 12, and we went through the numbers, we understand that's not a literal measurement that it was exactly that high. Okay? That the city, that, that heaven is going to need that kind of wall. But this is what he saw in his vision. But if we break down those figures, 144 cubits high... That wall was 72 feet high. I want you to think about that. 72 feet. That was what 144 cubits comes to. I'm sorry. Let me start over. My math mess up. 144 cubits is 216 feet or 72 yards. 72 yards. Three quarters of a football field. High. The walls are of jasper, it tells us in verse 18. In the phraseology in verse 11 where it says jasper stone clear as crystal has led some including James Burton Kaufman to think that it's not necessarily talking about the colored stone that we know as jasper today but it's talking about a diamond because jasper isn't clear like that. And so those who have taken time to look at this when it talks about it, it being so clear in verse 11 clear as crystal this jasper stone, they believe it's a diamond. Diamond is one of the hardest substances, right? One of the hardest. So here's these walls, 72 yards high, made out of pure diamond, hard. That should signify to us security, protection. But then, as we continue to, to read about this description, each of those four 216-foot high walls have three gates. Each one of those gates, according to verse 21, is a single pearl. A single pearl. Now, that's a big pearl. If those pearls only go halfway up the wall, they're 108 feet high. That's a big pearl. We know that nothing in the Bible is coincidence, happenstance. We, we understand that. God is behind it all. So why did God use a pearl for gate? God could have chosen anything. A pearl. Why a pearl? Why is the only way into the city through a gate that is made of a pearl? And why is that so significant to our topic tonight, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom. What's the connection? How does that work? Here's why. A pearl is the absolute perfect illustration of the fact that we only can enter the kingdom through trials. And here's why. Consider first and foremost that a pearl is a sphere. It's round. We know that. But what's at, it, what's at its heart and soul? A pearl is a sphere. But what's at the very middle of a pearl? An irritation. An aggravation. An irritant. A problem. A trouble spot. Otherwise, a pearl would, if it was not for 
that aggravation at its center, a pearl would not exist. Because the way pearls are made, the way pearls are formed, there's this little aggravation that gets into the, the craw of a ocean shell fish thing <laughs> and, and it gets in there and it's like when you get something in your throat you, okay you saw you know Tom was up here this morning singing and he was having to clear his throat it's like he said something to the effect this morning <clears throat> can't get it up can't get it out can't you know well when a pearl is formed the way it's formed is there's an aggravation there's an irritation there and so this clam whatever this shellfish is it begins to secrete something called knacker n-a-c-r-e and it secretes this knacker and what this knacker is it's like it, it's this liquid thing but it comes out and it wraps itself around the irritant and it hardens and because it's causing more and more of a bigger irritation like a lump in your throat that's getting bigger there's more and more knacker that comes and lays this liquid and what it does it hardens and guess what that is your pearl that's what that's how a pearl is formed, but at its heart and soul, there's a problem. There's an irritant, an aggravation, a problem. And so, the only way into heaven, as we look at these gates and we look at these, this figurative language that God used, is through a sphere. At the heart, soul, and center of which is nothing other than a suffering, an aggravation, or an irritation. Therefore, a pearl is a perfect illustration of the fact that we must, through many trials, enter the kingdom. It is only through this sphere of earthly struggles and suffering that our faith responds to the struggle like knacker. Our faith responds and grows layer by layer by layer. Brethren, there's a reason that God allows us to have trials in our lives and the reason is, is to help grow our faith. That's the point of James 1 verses 2 and 3 and many other places. If we had a perfect problem-free life down here, our faith would not grow. How many of you have gone through terrible things in your life whereby your faith grew more probably than it would have without them? That's how faith grows. When you get to the point that you've got a problem or an issue or an aggravation or an irritant or something, a trial, and you just can't handle it. And you, you, you realize because of what you're up against that you don't have the power to win. And so you begin to rely on a power, you begin to rely on God's power, and you begin to trust God more, and you begin to give it to God, and you watch God come through in your life, and God overcomes that problem, and He brings you through the valley of the shadow of death, and He brings you out through the other end. And you stand back and you say, thank you, God. That's how your faith grows. But without that aggravation, it wouldn't. It is only through this earthly sphere of worldly suffering that our faith responds and grows layer by layer to overcome the suffering and pain and thereby make us into those faith-mature children of God who because we become polished, because we become this beautiful faith being, as it were, and our faith becomes polished, and bright and pure and we overcome those aggravations and those irritants then we are worthy to walk those golden streets we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom brother Kaufman had some beautiful thoughts and I want to just share them
The gates, he said, each one a pearl. This means that heaven will be a place for those who have overcome. A pearl is produced by a little sea animal's response to a tragedy. A pearl is the only gem that is made from suffering. That's the perfect illustration for God to use as a gate into heaven. That's, it, it, it's perfect. It is the only gem that is made from suffering. Without suffering, a pearl doesn't exist. It, it just can't exist. And brethren, without struggles, our faith would not mature and we would not exist as the faithful Christians that we can become through them. Brother Kaufman says, in support of this, Heaven is a place where there will be no more tears. But what would that mean to one who has never cried? Heaven is a place where there is no more sorrow. But who could appreciate that if they've never been broken hearted? Heaven is a place where there is no more death. But who could appreciate that like one who is buried out of sight, their own beloved dead? Heaven is a place where there is no more pain. But what would that mean to one who has never suffered? You know, they say that a person born blind, if I had my choice between being born blind or having my eyesight for four or five years and then being blind, I'd rather be born blind. You know why? Because then I wouldn't know. I wouldn't have experienced what life with sight was. And his point here is, is that our trials, we must enter the kingdom through them, because if we understand what it's like to have them, then we're going to appreciate the absence of them far more. He lists a few more. He says, and the street of gold, what can that mean? It means that the yellow dust which people worship on earth will have at last found its proper place underfoot in the eternal city. I like that. And the tree of life and the river of life, here are the fountains of eternal joy, unending bliss, security, salvation, and glory. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. Whatever affliction oppresses people on earth will be healed there forevermore. The blind won't be blind there. The crippled, they'll walk there. The helpless, they'll be strong there. The sad, they'll be happy there. The old shall be young there, and the dead in Christ shall live there. We can all think of departed saints who've lived a long life, gotten to the point where they were feeble physically. They'll be able to beat us in the foot race up there. If there is such a thing. Brother Kaufman concluded, One of the great restoration preachers lay dying and in terrible suffering. When a friend inquired, How are you doing? He replied, I'm almost well. I'm almost well. And within a moment he was dead. But that's exactly what he was talking about. Think of grasping a hand. Think, think of this. Think of grasping a hand and finding it to be the hand of the Lord. 
or of breathing new air and finding it to be in the spiritual realm, of being transformed and finding that you have become immortal. Think of waking up and finding it home. This, my beloved Christians, is the Christian's homecoming. My beloved brothers and sisters, you see, we are all making a journey. We are passing through our allotted probation. I like that. Our allotted probation. We are passing through this probationary stage where we must have struggles in front of us in order that our faith can grow. We must have the irritation so that layer after layer of faith can grow and become that beautiful jewel that God wants in His heavenly home on display. When you understand that it is only through the sphere of suffering like that that you enter the kingdom of God, all of a sudden it's real easy to understand why Paul said what he did in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. This is what he said, listen. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution. Paul says, I love persecution. In distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, yes, I understand that it's through the tribulations. I understand it's through the persecution. I understand it's through the need. I understand that that's how my faith grows, layer on layer on layer on layer on layer. As I trust God and my faith evolves and grows, we must, through the, these trials, these tribulations, enter the kingdom. Paul says, bring it on. He says, because when I'm in those situations, when I'm weak in those, that's when I'm strong. That's when my faith is growing. Apostle Peter would say something very similar. He talked about this truth in the form of our faith being purged and purified and made stronger through the fiery trials we face in places like 1 Peter 1, 3-9 and chapter 4, 12-19. Brethren, we must through many trials, enter the kingdom. Trials are the gate that we have to go through, and there's no other way in. You want to try to go through that 72-yard high, solid diamond wall? You ain't got anything big enough to drill through that. You've got to go through the gate, which is a pearl, and its center is suffering. But how does that work exactly when we, all we see around us is trouble, storms of life? Turn to me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 16. You see, if all we're seeing is just the trials, if all we're seeing is just the bad stuff, if all we're seeing is just the struggle and the pain and the problems and the issues, the persecutions and the tribulations and all those things, if that's all we're seeing and we're sinking into a, a sea of despair, that means we've done exactly what Peter did. We've put our eye on the storm and taken our eye off the Lord. If you, are, if you are down and despairing over trials and problems and issues, chances are it's because you've taken your eyes off the Savior and you're looking at the storm. And when you, done, when you did, just like Peter, you sunk into this sea of depression and frustration. Paul says we don't do it that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at verse 16, says this. I'm sorry, I have the wrong Corinthian. 2 Corinthians. Let's go over to that one. Yeah, that looks a lot better. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Oh, Paul, how is it possible anybody goes through all you've gone through not to lose heart? Really? How do you do that? Be real. Paul says, let me show you. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they're eternal. He continues, We know... Paul says, we know. We can't see our heavenly home. We can't see what John saw in that vision on Patmos. We can't see a street of gold. But, he says, we know, even if we can't see it, chapter 5, verse 1, that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, and it is eternal in the heavens. In this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven, if indeed having been clothed we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, we who are in this earthly body, while we're undergoing these trials and these tribulations and, and all of these things, while we're in this tent we're burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up in life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, while we're here in this physical body, we're absent from the Lord. Now obviously the Lord's with us, but not in the same sense He will be when we get up there. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk not by what we see with our physical eyes, but with what we trust God because we know God can be trusted. We know that there's a lot of trials that we must go through the heart of in order to get into heaven and help as it helps our faith grow. When all we see around us at every turn is nothing but the storms of life, it not only means we focused on the storm and lost sight of Jesus, it also means that we're only looking at the gate, the pearl, with struggling at its center instead of beyond it to the beautiful eternal home God has promised. Where's our focus? Again, let me say I know I said that fast. And all we see is the storm. Maybe all we're seeing is the outside gate. We're seeing that, that aggravation at the center. We're seeing this, this overwhelming thing. You know what we need to focus on? We need to focus on what's inside the gate. We need to focus on that city with no night and no pain and no sorrow. It's not just about the entrance gate. It's not just about where, where aggravation is at the middle that we must go through. We need to look beyond what we see. We need to walk by sight and, and, and remember what's waiting inside the city. Jesus had to. Did you know that? Jesus had to do that. Look at me in your Bibles in Hebrews 12. Even Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 
Verses 1 through 3 say, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The cross was not joyful. The cross was unimaginable pain and suffering, both on a physical as well as a spiritual level. The spiritual even worse than the physical. Jesus endured the cross. How could he possibly endure the cross? Because he had his eyes on the joy that was set before him, on the joy that waited on the other side of the cross, that which was at home in heaven. And I'm convinced personally that's why the angel showed up in the garden, to remind him of everything that waited beyond the cross, beyond the suffering, on the other side of the pain, on the other side of the anguish. We must, through many trials, enter the kingdom. He had to get through this in order to get to the good stuff who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and guess what he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God he went through suffering to enter the kingdom as it were and then the Bible says this consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls you ever get weary and discouraged you ever have this struggle, this problem, this overwhelming irritation, aggravation, call it whatever you want, and you know that just like that, that pearl, it's a gate, you've got to go through that in order to, to, get, to get into heaven. You've got to go through that to get to the good stuff that God has promised. And it's easy to get weary and discouraged sometimes, especially as we get older and our health goes down and all of those things. But the Bible says when that happens... Hebrews 12.3 Instead of becoming weary and discouraged, you need to think about Jesus. You need to consider Jesus. You need to think about the fact that even Jesus, the Son of the pure, only begotten Son, even He, had to go through this terrible dark spot in order to get to the right hand of the throne of God. And if Jesus had to go through trials to get where he got, and we claim to follow him, doesn't it only make sense that we're going to have to go through some of these things? So he says in verses 12 and 13 of Hebrews 12, he says, Therefore, after he's discussed about God and Jesus and, and how God works, he says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. He said, keep your eyes on Jesus and keep on going and go through it. Because, as Paul said, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom. And if that's true, and it is, then we cannot enter the kingdom without going through a lot of tribulation. We are physical creatures living in a physical world. And sometimes it is so hard, it is so tough, it is so difficult to maintain our focus on the eternal and the spiritual and what lies beyond this world Especially when we see nothing but troubles and tribulation at every turn. That's why we need sermons like this. This is why we need to constantly focus on retraining ourselves to look beyond this earthly life. To look beyond that, that pearly gate to what is inside that city where we want to go. 
There is simply no emptier, more scary or terrifying feeling in the world than to lose sight of the Savior due to the storm. Ask Peter. Let us not focus so much on the pearly gates, but on the golden street that lies beyond. Let us not focus on that entrance, which includes trouble at its center, but farther on into the city with our God and Savior at its center. While it is true that trials serve a positive, purging, purifying purpose in the life of God's children, and while it is true that, that we must enter the kingdom through many trials, it is not the many trials in order to enter, but the kingdom of God and what is at its center that we need to set before our eyes and never lose sight of. Brother Kaufman concluded, The climax of our homecoming, of course, will be the joy of seeing the Savior face to face. And in my Savior's face, all the tribulations of this life will be swallowed up in joy. I want to see my Savior's face. And I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I know in order to get to that point where there is no pain, death, or sorrow, and to be at his side and to hear those words, I know that the only way I'm going to enter that place is that in the meantime, I'm going to have to go through some aggravation. I'm going to have to go through some distress. Maybe in your life tonight you're going through some distress. Understand that it's a part of this life. It's what God uses to strengthen our faith. But sometimes when we go through those distresses, we feel weak and beat up and weary and discouraged. Sometimes we just need the prayers of the church. We need hugs, some encouragement. Maybe you need somebody to pray with. Maybe you need somebody to just listen. If we're weak and heavy laden, Jesus has promised that he has rest. If you need the prayers of the church, in just a moment you can come forward. If there's anybody here tonight who's still carrying your sins around and you have that awful burden on you, Jesus is waiting to take it away. All you've got to do is step out into that aisle, understand that you need to repent, that you need to confess, that you need to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and he'll take away every sin. If you have either one of those needs, will you please come as we stand and sing?